0: You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the name of Jesus. Lord, no matter how life may seem at times, just to say that name out loud just to speak that name over any person or situation whatever we face brings a peace why because you're the prince of peace and lord jesus we love you we ask you now lord as you've spoken through your song and worship that lord you continue to speak now through your word lord ask you to cleanse me forgive me lord let me be a tool in your hand not for my glory Lord but for yours and Lord may every heart be receptive to what you may say today and may we pray and do all of this in the name of Jesus amen amen I want you to remain standing while you're doing that children will begin to make their way to worship I want you to go back we're back in James James chapter 2 14 through 26 we're going to be in James chapter 2 James chapter 2. We'll go over there past Hebrews. Get over there around James chapter 2 beginning at verse 14. And I've titled this message today an Autopsy, an Autopsy of a Dead Faith. Because James is talking about faith and he talks about this idea of a dead faith. In James chapter 2 beginning at verse 14... What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother, a sister, is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead but someone will say you have faith i have deeds show me your faith without deeds and i will show you my faith by what i do you believe that there is one god good Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? When she gave lodging to the spies sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead let's pray again lord we love you we give you glory we pray all of this in the name of jesus amen amen you can be seated you know um Years ago, working as an EMT, working as a paramedic, working in an ambulance service, a lot of times you were called to a scene where people were trying to determine whether an individual was dead or not. Sometimes you'd come to this scene, it could be uh, at a home where people would meet you outside and they would say, I had a friend of mine who met me outside. He was frantic and he said, I think my dad is dead. His dad was still laying in the bed, hadn't got up like he usually did. And sure enough, he was right. His dad was gone. His dad was dead. A lot of times you go to a car accident or you go to the scene of an accident and people would meet you when you pull up in an ambulance and you have your equipment and you're getting out and you're going to the scene and they'll look at you and say, I don't, I don't know if the person is alive or not. And, and they're somewhat frantic. You know, that's a, that's a serious question. Because you need to determine, are we going to the hospital or are we going to the morgue? And let me tell you, there were times that we did not go to the hospital. We went to the morgue. We went to the funeral home. We went the opposite direction of the hospital. You see, when we go into a scene, I've been in scenes, I've told you this before, I went to a scene one time in a massive family argument that resulted in seven stabbings. Seven stabbings in one location often you go and you're trying to determine is this person breathing you're looking to see if they're breathing you're listening for a heartbeat often it will be minuscule it can be very faint sometimes you turn I turn and look at the family or look at my partner and say I, I'm picking up a heartbeat I've I've got a heartbeat and you'd feel a sigh of relief uh, we've been to scenes where a child is drowned and CPR was conducted and that child began to breathe again. Their heartbeat came back and people all, all of a sudden begin to celebrate as if they were at a ball game. Um, I remember one time going to the scene, it was a horrible, very, very bad storm and we were taking a mom, a young mother, who had had her first child, first baby, and uh, we were picking this child, this, this mom up and we were going to transport her to Jackson. And when we picked her up, the doctor, a doctor that I knew, walked out and he said, will you be in the back? I said, yes, I will. He handed me an Ambu bag, which is a mechanism that goes over the mouth to breathe. If we didn't have that, we did it back in the 70s, mouth to mouth. He said, uh, he handed me the Ambu bag and he said, you'll need this. He said she'll probably die along the way. A young mom, wife of a coach. You know, I didn't ask the doctor, how will I know if she's dead or not?" I, 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 he knew I knew that. Luckily, let me add this: It was a horribly bad, stormy night. The dad was a football coach. He was riding in the front of the ambulance. He said to me, he said, if you will drive, I will go with you. Because he didn't trust my partner in the back. And I said, I'll he didn't trust him behind the wheel. I said, I'll drive. That was one of the scariest rides I ever had in an ambulance. You know, the reality is, is trying to determine if a person is dead or alive is a, is a serious thing let me tell you trying to determine if a Christian is alive or dead is a serious thing to know whether a person has truly ever been born again is a serious thing trying to determine if a church is I remember my dad and I we were going along one day and he said look at all the buzzards and he said there must be something dead and I pointed at a church I remember Sheila and I were riding one day and we drove by church and had buzzards sitting up on the roof. You know, that's never a good sign when buzzards are perched on top of your church. Did you know there's such a thing as a dead church? Did you? Hey, you've probably been to a few. In Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, you don't have to turn there, but you can do it later on. In Revelation chapter three, fourteen verses 14 through 20, God had a message, Jesus had a message for the church at Laodicea. And you know what he said to the church at Laodicea? He said, listen to this, he said, I wish you were cold, I wish you were dead, rather than in the condition that you're in right now. Which is a lukewarm. So, you know, uh, uh, something that is dead is not good. Uh, Anybody that's country, country folks know this. The worst thing in the world is a dead mouse or a dead rat, right? And I don't know what it is. I don't know if that sucker's trying to get revenge because you put rat poison out, which supposedly, if you put rat poison out, they crawl out into the open and die outside. That's not always true. But there's nothing worse than a rotting corpse of a mouse or a rat in a wall or under furniture. You'll do whatever you can. You know, I can remember times my mom would walk in. She'd go, there's a dead mouse in this house. And you know what that meant? We were going to rip the house apart until we found that dead mouse, that rotting carcass, and, and put it out. You know, there's nothing worse than a dead church. Boy, they can stink to high heaven, can't they? And so here James is talking about a dead faith. Now he's not, I wrote this down, he's not talking about a comatose Christian. He's not talking about a faith that is on life support. He's talking about a faith that a person has a dead faith. It's dead, but now listen, they don't know it's dead. You see, that's the problem. There are some people who have been up there and had something happen up there, but they've never had nothing happen in here. There's some people that have their names on the membership of a church, but they don't have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not do miracles? Did we not do that and this and He'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. A dead faith. And so James walks us through this passage here of diagnosing a faith as to whether it's dead or not. You know, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, you know what he said to Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What he meant was this, you must have a spiritual rebirth and until you have that, you're dead. You remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where God created, you know, he reached down, the Bible said he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And you know what the dot Bible said? The Bible said at a certain point that God, imagine God, breathes into Adam the breath of life and the Bible said he became a living soul. He was alive. So, this idea of being born of the Spirit automatically means that you have a live faith. But if you've never been born of the Spirit, you've never been born again. Notice God when he talks to Nicodemus. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, uh, man, listen, he's a high muckety-muck. He's really somebody important. I mean, he, he is uh, the Bible said he's the ruler of the Jews, ruler of the Sanhedrin, of the Pharisees. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, there's one problem with you. You have memorized the Old Testament, but the faith in you is a dead faith. It's nothing. You're dead. In fact, at one point he looks at Nicodemus when Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? I think Jesus laughed at him and said, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. So this idea of being alive or dead and having alive or dead faith is a critical, critical issue. I want you to take a right, well, take a left, hold your finger there, don't leave James chapter 2, but I want you to go to the left to to the book of Galatians. You know, Paul told the church at Galatia, he gave them a little bit of a test to help them understand whether they had a a real, genuine, life-changing faith or whether they had a dead faith. Now watch this, Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 19, watch this. Paul said the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction and envy drunkenness orgies and the like now watch what paul says here and he's speaking to those who are professing christians in the church of galatia i warn you as i did before that those who do what now watch this live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god you know what paul was saying hey listen you may say "Uh oh i'm in trouble hey listen i'm in trouble too You may say, well, wait a minute. Do you sin, Brother Jeff? You better believe I do. I sin more than I want to. But let me tell you, God's changed my want to. When I sin, when I fail, I feel the conviction, the brokenness of the Holy Spirit. I come under that conviction. I say to myself, God, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to make that mistake again. God, forgive me. And the Bible says, if you and I will confess, homologeo, in the Greek, if we'll say what God says about that sin, God says, I'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. So you may look at that and say, man, I'm in trouble. But notice what Paul says here. He said, I warn you as I did before, verse 21, that those who do what? Now look at that, underline it, dog ear that page. Live like this. I went to over 200 homes one time in this community. I went to homes where people never darken the door of the church. Drug paraphernalia, alcohol, beer bottles, whiskey bottles, everything all over the yards. Walk up to home after home, knock on the door, over 200 homes. At some point ask that question, are you a Christian? Oh yes we are. My friend, you, listen, you and I cannot live in willful, habitual disobedience to the Word of God and call ourselves a Christian. We have a dead faith. We have a dead faith. You can't live that way. That's why Paul says it here. He, says, I, he said, I warn you, as I did before. Paul said, this is not something I've told you the first time, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But now watch what he says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the first thing? His love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul said, listen, this is how you know whether you're saved or not. You see, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. You say, well, wait a minute. I had a fit of anger. I had a fit of rage. Oh, my. How many times? I get so tired of apologizing to Sheila. I know y'all men don't have to do that, but I mean, even yesterday, Willie got that motorcycle, got out there, and I nearly turned it over, and I I said, Sheila, get out here and help me. A little while later, I'm saying, Sheila, I'm so sorry. I may have a fit of rage. I may have a fit of anger. I may slip and fall. But my loving Savior and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit will convict me of that, and I'll have to confess and get it right with God and say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. If you can live like that, if you can live in willful, habitual disobedience, you're never convicted, never bother it, my friend, listen to me, you have a dead faith and you're on your way. You're on your way to hell. I don't think I can put it any more bluntly. Paul gives you a very, very clear test here. He said, this is, this is the flesh. This is that old carnal fleshly nature. This is the Spirit. And those who live by this, he said, if they can live that way, Paul said, they'll never inherit eternal life. I leaned over in the worship time. You know what I said to Sheila? I wrapped my arm around her and whispered to her. I said, Do you remember the scene in the shack? William uh, Young's book, The Shack. Many people got onto that. It was an allegory, it was an allegorical literature rendition of a spiritual thing. William Young was sexually abused on the mission field. He has an unbelievable testimony. He's wounded. He wrote that book out of his woundedness in the movie. If you ever remember the movie, The Shack, if you saw it, do you remember when Jesus and the man are running on the water? You remember they're running on the water? I leaned over to Sheila during the worship time. I said, man, I can't wait to get to heaven to run with Jesus on water. But now, what is saving faith? You know, James makes it clear here, he says, can such faith save him? What kind of faith will save a man or a woman? Because first of all, let's write this down. Faith is to grace what rails are to a train. Now let me repeat that. Faith is to grace what the rails are to a train. In other words, faith is critical. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, you cannot appropriate God's grace without your faith. In other words, listen, regardless of a train's cargo a train can be loaded with all kinds of goodies all kinds of supplies so many things that you and i need it can have the best contents in the world but if you don't have the rails to get that load that content to your location it does no good at all right what did we say faith is to grace what rails are to a train Your faith is the vehicle by which God's grace is appropriated to your life. Warren Wiersbe went on to make this statement in a commentary. He said, faith is the key doctrine in the Christian life. The sinner is saved by faith. Right? Let's take a quick journey. How many of you want to do Bible drills? Take take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Real quickly. How important is faith? Ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine. Watch what Paul said here. Because first of all, believers saved by gra- we're saved by grace through faith. In Ephesians chapter two verse uh, verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. So what did we say? Faith is to grace what rails are to a train. For it is by grace you have been saved through, let's say it together, through what? Through faith. And this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. You see, we can't boast, this is nothing but God's grace, God's goodness, God's gift. Okay, from there, uh, let me see, take a left and go to 2 Corinthians. Go over to 2 Corinthians, right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Now watch this. We're not only saved by faith. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by what? We live by what? Say it out loud. Turn to your neighbor and say it. We live by faith. Emily, you have turned turn around and get yourself in their conversation. We live by what? Say it loud. You're saved by what? By grace through faith. You live by what? By faith. Let me ask you something. What is the devil going after in your life? Your faith. Listen, Satan hates. Your enemy hates above all else. He hates your faith. If he can get you to doubt live in uncertainty live in fear doubting your salvation doubting the unconditional unmerited love and grace and mercy of god if he can get you to stay there and live there he'll shut you down he hates your faith why does he hate your faith well let's look a little bit farther look at hebrews from james chapter 2 just take a slight left go over to hebrews chapter 11. i want you to see this now this is important You're saved by what? You're saved by grace through what? Faith. We live by what? We live by faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Watch this. And without faith, did you see it? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. And without faith, it is what? It is impossible to do what? To please God, because anyone who comes to him must, watch this, believe that he, what? Exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Isn't that strange? Think about that for a minute. Put your, as Emily Williams would say as a teacher, put your thinking caps on for a minute. Put your spiritual antennas up. And without faith, it's impossible. That's why Satan hates your Faith. That's why he's attacking it. That's why he wants to undermine it. Because he does not want you to please God. Because a Christian, a life that is pleasing to God, my friend, is a joy to you and absolute hell and misery to Satan. Without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God, comes to him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now one more Take a left from Hebrews, go over there to Romans chapter 14. Now I'm going to tell you folks, this one here ought to shake you up a little bit. Hebrews chapter 14, verse 23, because the reality is, Paul says something here that we all need to hear in in Romans chapter 14 verse 23 but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith now what Paul's talking about is Paul said listen if you eat meat and offend your brother don't do it if you do something and hey listen listen everybody look this way for a moment I want you to hear me here you may be convicted about something that Somebody else may look and say, you know, that's, that's not really a big deal to me. You know what Paul's saying? But if you disobey your conscience, even though somebody else may say, well, that's not a big deal. That, that doesn't matter. You see, you're on two different planes here. You're on, on, you're on journeys toward Christ's likeness. But if you suppress that conscience and you do something... That in your conscience you feel like is wrong, then Paul said that's a sin. But watch what he goes on to say here. And everything that does not come from faith is what? Is sin. You see, you and I are saved by grace through what? Through faith. We live by what? We live by faith. You see, faith is everything to us. You know, John MacArthur was talking about this. He said a lot of times, and I love MacArthur because MacArthur a lot of times gets in the way of the Reformed Calvinist position. And he'll call them on the carpet. Martin Luther, who was one of the Reformers, took the book of James and he called it the Gospel of Straw. And I think that he disliked James so much that he put it in the back of his Bible completely changed the order of his Bible, sticking it in the back. Why? Because people see Paul uh, James's statement that faith without deeds is dead as being something that would be contrary to justification by faith alone, which is what Paul taught. But John MacArthur said this. He said, Paul and James are not facing each other as if they're in a battle, one talking about justification by faith, another talking about uh, the uh, faith without works is dead. He said they're not fighting against each other. I love how he put it. He said they're two soldiers back to back against each other, both fighting two different views that are both wrong. Listen to what one writer said. James is not in opposition to Paul's teaching as to the justification by faith alone, but rather, now listen to this, this is critical, but rather than a life-saving faith will result in observable evidence. Does that make sense? Real faith always carries evidence. You can see it. You just know it. Now, what does James say? He warns of an empty profession, uh, a confession. James just said, you know, a lot of people will profess. They'll, they'll, they'll say, uh, and no doubt in the early New Testament church, maybe there were a lot of people that believed this way. You know, I had a woman look at me one time, and I've told you before in marriage counseling, looked at me, and she put her hand on her husband's shoulder. And she said, we are married in name only. Now what she was saying was, there's no love, there's no emotion, there's no relationship here. The only way you would know that I am uh, tied to this man is by my last name. We're married in name only. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people that are going to go to the judgment one day, and they're going to realize that they were only a Christian in name only. You see, that's important. Let me ask you a question. Do people know that you're a Christian only by what you say rather than how you live? Let me ask you a question. Do you have to tell people you're a Christian? Do they know it? by the way you talk, by the way you live, by your priorities, what's important to you, everything about you. You just live, breathe, and, and just literally breathe out the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit everywhere you go. And people just know you're the salt, you're the light, you're, you're the yeast. There's a joy about you. And they're drawn to you. I wrote this down. These are those who, undoubtedly who James was dealing with, we're a people who put great worth and value in the words they speak rather than the life they live. And James gives an example of this in verses 15 through 17. He gives an exa- he gives an example of a destitute man or woman who comes in, who comes to you, and when they come to you, you look at them and go, "I mean, here they are. They're hungry. They're they're beaten down. They're they're not even they're not even clothed adequately. They're destitute. They're without all kinds of the basic needs." They come to you, and you look at them and say, "You know." Peace be with you. Shalom. Peace be with you. Go in peace and may you be well fed. And you do nothing? An attitude that seems to believe, as one writer said, that mere words bring comfort. Sheila and I, in our first church, we were poor as dirt, we're making $200 a week. One day, a wealthy farmer, and I mean a wealthy farmer, a millionaire, he came to us and he brought us a bunch of frozen stuff out of his freezer. Sheila, we were so excited. She took those black-eyed peas, those bags, and she went in there and she put some, she put some bacon in there and she began to cook those, those, those black-eyed peas. And, and at a certain point, she came in and, and she was crying. And I said, what's wrong? She said, these peas are old. They have freezer burn." Anybody who's a country folk, you know what I'm talking about. These were, free, these were peas that had been left in the bottom of the freezer at least one season, maybe two, and they had freezer burned. They had absorbed the smells of the freezer. She said, these are no good, and she cried. Now you may say, why did she cry? She cried because this farmer came acting as if he was doing us a favor, when in reality he was just dumping what he didn't want. You know what James was saying? That kind of faith will send you straight to hell. Because it's a faith that doesn't have any compassion, no love, no mercy, no sacrifice, no cost. You see, what James would go on to say as he talks about this particular episode here, he said words that are void of love and Christ-like action, in the end, they're just meaningless and they leave people wanting. Jim Anderson. Jim Anderson was a homeless man. Some of you know him. Jim Anderson, back when we had the old building down here, Ken, he was a homeless man. He'd crawl up into the furnace units in the building, and he would sleep there in the winter. And often when I'd go down there in the morning, I could smell cigarette smoke. And I'd just smile and go, Jim's here. Jim would come uh, to my Sunday school class. And I always had Jim a cup of coffee and a honey bun. He loved honey buns. I'd go buy them packages of the big honey buns at Sam's and give him those honey buns. Jim Anderson told me one day, and it's the only time I ever saw this homeless man cry. He said, Brother Jeff, he said, there was a time when I was so hungry. He said, I crawled over, me and a friend, we ca- crawled over into a dumpster and found, uh, found an out-of-date bag of dried dog food. And, he, and Jim was kind of an annoying, irritating kind of personality. He wasn't a soft person, but he began to cry. He choked up, and he said, and we ate that dog food, and he wept like a baby. He said, because nobody would show us any mercy. UMC University Medical Center. I've told you the story when I I was called there by the by the head of the University Medical Center. When I was called to the hospital, when I got there, uh, because Jim was on Jim was dying, the 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 echelon, the high echelon, the the administrator, the hospital staff, they took me into this office with this big old round conference table and they told me to wait there the administrator of the hospital some of the administrative staff came in there they were holding a document and they said we just wanted to see who the pastor is and what kind of church it was where a homeless man puts you as next of kin he put this church next of kin picture you're on the corner Richard, you're the one that James says is standing there and somebody comes to you. I corresponded with Josh Reagan. Josh was a member here, married a girl that used to head our children's ministry. Josh just made his Master of Divinity, just got his degree. Talked to him, uh, text back and forth with him congratulating him. Do you know what Josh Reagan said to the homeless when we had a uh, we had a big we had a doctor prominent doctor who who rented one of the major restaurants I mean white tablecloths white napkins man they put out everything for the homeless. Josh Reagan young Josh shared this testimony you know what Josh Reagan told them he said my dream my desire was to be Uh, was to be able to navigate and live my life under the bridge at the interstate by St. Dominic's Hospital to live under that bridge, stand on that corner there at St. Dominic's like so many homeless do and beg and sleep under that bridge. He said, that was my desire. Today, Josh just earned his Master of Divinity. He's married to a beautiful young lady, Christina. They have three children. James is simply saying, we're talking about faith. But real faith carries action. It's not dead. It's alive. It affects you. It makes you different. Look at verse 18, and we'll close in a moment. But look what what he says. But someone will say you have faith. James says I have deeds. In other words, faith will always, what you believe, will affect your behavior. Real quickly, I've used it before. If somebody came to this door up here and you saw me walk over and you saw Bethany standing here and Bethany looked... Looked, uh, looked at me and said something to me. And I came back over here to this pulpit and looked at you and said, uh, Bethany just wanted to let everybody know that the lower building is on fire. Now let's get back to the sermon. Everybody keep your Bibles on James chapter 2. Let me ask you something. What would you think? You would think I was joking or you'd think I was crazy. You see, you would determine, now listen, this is critical. You would determine your behavior based on my behavior. If I can't, hey, listen, I wouldn't get back to that pulpit. If Bethany looked at me and said the lower building's on fire, I would say, Willie, Ledge, some of y'all go quickly, get down there, get down there, let's get the kids out. And you'd say, wow. Wow. You wouldn't be sitting here with your Bibles open. You wouldn't be sitting here getting ready to sing another worship song. Every human being in this building would be going down to the lower building to ensure that every child, no matter their color, no matter who they were, was safely out of that building. My friend, let me tell you something. Some of us who claim to have faith, our behavior, our actions to a lost world says to a lost world, we do not believe the message that has been given. If we did, where we live, where we work, in our communities, in our schools, wherever we went, we would be talking to people and trying somehow to navigate the conversation to say, are you a Christian? Willie and I went Friday to buy a a motorcycle I sat with a big old stocky, good-looking young man, had a thriving business. At a certain point, I wasn't worried about a motorcycle. I wasn't worried about a deal. What was I worried about, Willie? I was wanting to know, Josh, are you a Christian? His name was Josh too. You know what he said? He had a backhoe here and a bulldozer's ear he had a crew all around him he said i need jesus every day and he said and he looked at me again he said i need jesus every day that's right my friend you're not at the bank to get check out to get your money out of the bank you're not in the dental office the doctor's office you're not in the school you're not in the business everything that you do is about sharing the kingdom of god So that when people look at you and they'll say these words, this person truly believes it. John F. Kennedy, on his way to Dallas, do you know what was written in that speech in Dallas that the President of the United States never gave? Mark chapter 8, verse 36. The President of the United States was prepared in Dallas to say these words, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul an assassin's bullet ended his life in a moment before minutes later he would be quoting mark chapter 8 verse 36 the president of the united states john f kennedy had no idea that his life was coming to an end is your faith dead or alive little boy was flying his kite and he had got his kite way up there in some low-hanging clouds. You may think, well, that's impossible. Sheila and I did that when I was an officer of Fort Sam Houston. We were laughing about it this morning. It was a Sunday afternoon. We were flying a kite. We'd put string to string, and we had that kite where you couldn't even see it anymore. Finally, a, a vehicle pulled up there at Brooke Army Medical Center. A man came out saluting and said, sir! You'll need to take your kite down, we can't get a medevac unit in here. Little boy had his kite, that kite had disappeared up into the clouds. A businessman came by and said, Son, what you doing? He said, I'm flying my kite. He looked at him and laughed said, Son, how do you know your kite is even there? He said, because I can feel the tug on the string. My friend, let me tell you, when you've got a live faith, a real faith, a life-changing faith, if you've got the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit in your life, you feel the tug of His love, His mercy, His grace, His goodness, you feel that tug of that faith every single day you get up. Do you know Him? Have you ever come to a point that you repented of your sin and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Or will you one day one day stand before the judgment of God and in that moment, God look at you and you start saying, Lord, I did this, I did that. And notice he said prophesy. I, I notice he said, I did miracles. Notice he says, you, you're going to say all the things that you did and God says, depart from me, you worker, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I know President Biden, but he doesn't know me. You may say, I know Jesus. That's not the question. Does Jesus know you? And if you've repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right now His Holy Spirit is in you affirming what I'm saying right now. And you know that you're saved. But if your faith is dead, you're convicted, you're broken, you're struggling, and you know what you're thinking? I can't get out of here quick enough. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You and Lord, we thank You and we praise You. Lord, we give You all the glory and honor. You alone are worthy to be praised. Lord, every one of us have fallen and stumbled through this life. Lord, I don't stand up here talking about a faith that, as if I'm arrogant or proud. Lord, I'm not. By Your grace, Your mercy, Your love, Your sacrifice by the death of Jesus on the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are to be the most pitied. But I thank You that my faith and my trust has been placed in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Lord, I pray today if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who may say, Brother Jeff, I don't know. There's so many doubts and uncertainties in my life, I just don't know. Maybe a woman that would sit down with Sheila and say, Ms. Sheila, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not certain. I've got too much vested on the other side for me to go through the rest of my life this way. I've got to know that I know that I'm saved because there's too many people on the other side I want to see. And Lord, i got a lot of people on the other side I want to see. Most of all, Lord, I want to see You. So Lord, I pray today if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, somebody who may be listening, maybe later on, maybe through the live stream or maybe later on on Facebook or wherever, God, You've spoken to their heart. Right now they say, I've got a dead faith, but I want a live faith. I pray for that person, whoever they may be. And I pray, dear Lord, if they'll repent of their sin and put their faith and their trust in You, by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm I'm lost. I know I'm on my way to hell. But I know you love me. I know you died on the cross for me. Come into my heart, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. And right now, be the Lord of my life. I thank You, Jesus, because of what Your Word teaches and this prayer of faith that I'm saved. May we realize that faith is to grace what rails are to a train. Lord, help us to be all you've called us to be. Speak to us even now in the name of Jesus. Amen.